the paper about the 1,800-year-old relic that looks like Elvis. An, an old, an old, an old bust found on the corner of a Roman coffin. It's the image of Elvis Presley, 1,800 years old. Yes, old relics. Any other old relics that we can think of? I say, has it got a quiff? A it's got a quiff. Oh, it's got a fancy. Oh, wow, now wow. I see it. Yeah, it's amazing. I yeah. believe. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's, it's, it's got a, the jawline. It's a real good piece, piece of radio, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Can you see this? What, what an amazing, amazing thing. thing. <laughs> we yes. can see it, you can't. Hello, welcome to the Saffron Planet show. Steve, what are we going to be looking at today? Um, today we've got a question that we're posing in two ways. Why are Christians wet uh, to one group of people and why are Christians miserable to another group of people? We're also going to be looking at the truth is out there. Then we're moving on to Louis, who's going to talk about sex. And finally, we're going to pose the question, is Christian faith just a good story to make you feel good? So we are going to listen to all the different um, comments that we had from the people. It was quite interesting, wasn't it? Yep, and what's the subject of the first one? It was, uh, why are Christians so miserable? Or are they? Well, we'll have to find out. Let's yeah, go over and find, find out. Okay. Right, I'm going to make a statement. <laughs> right, I'm making a statement. As Christians, we are incredibly privileged. Access to the maker of the universe, assurance of a life of meaning and guaranteed eternal life. Then, why are Christians usually so wet and miserable? <laughs> well, it's true. Not all Christians. But usually, you know, to the outside world... You know, we've got the answers. We've got the answers to the universe. We've got eternal life. We've got everything, basically. And yet we seem so miserable. You know, you think of all the negative words that can be used for Christians. There's quite a lot of them. There's more negative words than positive words, I would say. Do you think it's because we take a lot of things very seriously, maybe? Hold on, we've got someone doesn't agree. Okay, go on then. (laughs) Miserable? What? Don't think Christians are miserable. Well, no. No. Just that you brought up in a very happy family. No, I think they're solemn. And I don't think miserable is like negative emotion. Mm. But if anything, Christians emotionally are positive, but they're very solemn about it. And um, Solemn? I think people are saying miserable because they see Christians as maybe being judgmental and miserable in that way. Like, do you think you know? No, no, no. Kill droids. Ju- kill yeah, droids. exactly. Yeah, they can't have yeah. a bit of fun. Can mm. I say that people yeah. often view Christians as being very smiley, happy, clappy types yeah. of people, mm, yeah. and they're not always viewed as yeah. solemn and oh, miserable. So, you're so far, two are against mm. and one's for this yeah. argument. The traditional yeah. Christian is not seen as happy, clappy. I don't think. What do you mean by no. Christian? Because there are a lot of people who will say, oh, "Yes, I'm a Christian," and you say. When did you last go to church? Um, yeah, okay. Got put yourself in the eye and in, in the stead of someone watching television, say, watching soaps. And yeah, think of stereotypes. Years, think of stereotypes of Christians yeah. in soaps over, you know, over the last few years. Yes. Usually someone judgmental, yeah. kill miserable, yes. killjoys. But no real life or love. Or I know that's not yeah, loving. The reason, not reason, loving. The reason for that is mm. the writers are—that's their—that's yeah, what they're trying to put across. Yeah. I mean, you're getting yeah. that from the, the writers the media. Are in society. No, no, no. Yeah, the, the, the writers comes from somewhere. Have, yeah. the stereotype no. always comes from yeah. people. people are, yeah, yeah, but people are comfortable with that nah. stereotype. 
So it does reflect what people think about Christians. It's all an agenda. The writer has an agenda. Oh, it's the writers. So what are they? What agenda? Is that? Most, most, most writers. Well, you've got to have extreme uh, characters yeah. in a soap. So, so you reckon soap writers are typically anti-Christian and try to make Christians look yeah. stupid? Soaps are mm. extenders about you know uh, political correctness. community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Christians are miserable anyway. Don't you think Christians are miserable? No. Don't you think Christians are miserable? I think all Christians are miserable, actually. I think Christians are miserable. Not the legalistic ones. Not all Christians. Yeah. Oh, you're being a Simon now. She's just being a... <laughs> <laughs> right, this is what that group of people said. Now let's move over to another group of people. Same question. Wet Christians, why why is that happening? Why are wet Christians... <laughs> why are um, wet and miserable? Yeah, to the world outside, doesn't look very good. Well, very yeah. often it's a misperception. Yeah. Sometimes it's true. I mean, I know a few wet Christians. Well, but God loves them actually. just as much as he loves the, the dry Christians. So but has he selected more wet Christians than dry Christians? No. Well, maybe more wet people can <laughs> save you. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's true. No, no, I don't. I think there are more wet Christians. No, I was going to no, oh, talk no. about the flood. And the, oh, it would have oh, got, it got no, ugly. No, no, do that. No, just let everyone out. Everyone that gets out. Come on, out. Christians become wet. Christians are normal people that when they become a Christian, they have all these new sets of rules. So like, oi, vey, what have I got to do to, you know, impress... Yeah. This God, so I can get to heaven. Right. They become burdened with so much. Wet. No, yeah. I think. Mind you, my general opinion is yeah. that they're not wet. A lot of them are quite happy, and I think yeah. I don't know where you got that statement from. No, because right. most of them are wet. Just, I've read it well, I think the general um, <laughs> what? define wet perception. <laughs> wet is of like a little willy wishy washy and miserable and sort of floppy and. By wet, are we talking like gay vicars and all that stuff? I don't think that's the what, perception. Homosexual, of... is that what wet means? No. no. Uh, a feat. <laughs> so by wet, are we just talking about people that seem wet quite wet. weak, not very interesting, in yeah. a bit ears. dull? A bit, yeah. bit anoraki. I'll tell you the... the, the, the <laughs> you know, that, that one about, you know, I used to have a chip on my shoulder, but now I wear a fish on my lapel. Well, I think a lot of it's because yeah, that, that's a definition of wetness. Someone that wears something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, although it doesn't necessarily, you know, not everybody that wears a fish on the pillow is wet. Right. I think a lot of men. I think a lot of men when they become Christians, um, they try and impress their church much more than they try to impress their God, and they become real idiots. The amount of young men that I've met that have no genuine strength of faith, but they really know how to look good in front of so church people. To be church they know how to say things. Yeah. I find there's a lot of immaturity, especially yeah. the young men that are in the church, because they don't really know their God. They know people, and they yeah. like to appeal to people. The only difference is they're not appealing to non-Christian people. They're trying to appeal to Christian people. picking up young ladies? What, sort of partly, but what they do is, is they take the normal, they take what it is to be a normal person, and they just dumb it down, and they take things away from it. Yeah. They think that being a Christian is removing things things from who you are which is part of it but it's also adding to yourself the character or striving to try and become the character of God but a lot of people don't do that they just stop doing they throw throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah so they've taken stuff away but not added any they've not actually added by they've not actually had a faith where they're 
growing in character with God, they've just tried to stop doing some things that they know people in the church would frown on. Yeah. And so what happens is you have a lot of men that seem wet because they haven't actually got much substance. They have even less than they had before they were Christians. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sort of, if they're even Christians, that is, yeah, they're just yeah. sort of in the church and, and men. But no, I think a lot... I think no case studies on this. No, no, I think, no names to be... No, no, no I just no, think a lot of yeah. problems, there's apparently there's a big decline... Um, with men in the church, mm. and I think it's partly because um, a lot of men don't really see what being a Christian as a man can do. Mm. Yeah. I think it, it, turns, it turns a man off. So that was interesting, wasn't it? Did we ever find out what a dry Christian Dry Christian? Um, mm. One that lives in the desert? Yeah, perhaps. I know we can have dry periods in our Christian life, but I think we were talking about other things. Anyway, moving, moving on. on. Yes. The next bit we're going to listen to is... The, I think, the is truth it is out your, there. Yes, yeah, is, is it based on the first chapter? Fantastic of book. Your, of your book? Uh, yes, it's just the first part of it, and uh, this will be an occasional series, and uh, here's the first mm-hmm. go at it. Okay. The truth is out there. Part 1 Starry Starry Night The press had called it E-Day. It was a unique event not seen before in Britain for over 70 years and it was going to happen on August 11, 1999 at 11am. It was, of course, a total eclipse of the sun. We tend to take such things for granted, an entertainment to slot alongside the technical wizardry of sci-fi film blockbusters and dramas on the TV. Yet, this was no illusion. This was real life, a Mother Nature production and free. A total eclipse is a totally unlikely event, not just because it hardly happens, but because it happens at all. The astronomer Patrick Moore calls it unquestionably the finest display in all nature. A total eclipse of the sun only happens because the sun and moon seem to be about the same size, so that when the moon passes exactly in front of the sun, it blots it out. But the sun is around 400 times larger than the moon, and the only reason they seem to be the same size is that the sun is around 400 times further away from us. If the moon or the sun were a tad smaller or larger, or a tad nearer or further, then there could never be a total eclipse. It's a fine balance here. A slight nudge either way would deprive us of this finest display in all nature. But there's something else, because if there was a slight nudge either way, then life on Earth would not be. We just would not exist. If we were just 5% closer to the sun, we would just burn to a crisp. 5% further away, we would suffocate in a cloud of carbon dioxide. If the moon was a little larger, the tides would swamp the earth. A little smaller, there would be no tides. And what about the earth? In ancient days, the earth was considered the centre of the universe. But along came a Polish astronomer, Copernicus, and turned this on its head. He proved that the earth did indeed move around the sun, as did the other planets. This was earth-shattering. Literally, it implied that the earth was nothing special in the great scheme of things. A mediocre planet 
orbiting a mediocre star in the mediocre galaxy. This view has remained ever since the favoured view of scientists and philosophers. Was Copernicus right or is there anything special about Earth? Many scientists are now beginning to ask this question. Why? They are asking it because of the rapid advances in scientific knowledge in modern times. Scientists have discovered some remarkable things. It seems that our Earth is just the right size and distance away from the Moon and Sun for life. It's the only place in our solar system where life could exist. Also, scientists have discovered how finely tuned it is in so many ways. The magnetic field, the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere, the rate of rotation, the size and properties of the Earth's crust, they are all just right. Scientists have come up with a list of about 20 things that need to be just right and how, if any one of them was slightly different, life on Earth just wouldn't be. In fact, many scientists are now turning against received wisdom and are starting to consider the possibility that the whole universe seems to be constructed for one purpose only, to make life on Earth possible. You begin to wonder. The Truth Is Out There was written and performed by Steve Maltz, who also did the editing. Music by Howard Worth. This is a SaffronPlanet.net production. Right, that was amazing because I learned a lot, you know, listening to that as I did from reading that book and lots to do with the fine-tuning of our universe. So lots, lots of information in that one. The next thing we're going to look at or listen to is, of course, Louis. When our Louis, yeah. He was 17. Louis, he's, now, he's 20 now, but when he was 17, he was just as good. Yeah, and he was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah. Right, this is the first part of the sort of a series he did on sex. Hi, my name's Louis. I'm 17, currently doing my A-levels. I became a Christian at 13 and was baptised at 15. And today I want to talk about sex. What does the Bible say about it? What do we think um, God gave it to man for? Does it have a moral code with it or is it just some chemical impulse as it were some kind of creation by man's brain activity and will to survive and my first question is is sex a gift from God or is it a creation of man now the Bible tells us in Genesis that God made them male and female God made two species he made male and he made female in the beginning he made two distinct types, as it were, of people. He made the male and the female. And what he said to them, one of the first things, in fact, he says to mankind, um, in verse 28, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, Be fruitful and multiply. God instructs Adam and Eve, the people that he creates, to make more people. Sex, in the Bible, is portrayed as something God gave mankind something God instructed mankind to do. It is very much a gift from him. Now the issues, the things with gifts are, yeah, they're given to us by someone, but we can do what we like with them, or so we think. For example, I might give you um, a penknife for Christmas. Something that you could do a beautiful carving with, maybe um, depending on the functions, you could open some wine or do some kind of useful act with it. 
you could do lots of things with a pen knife that would be beneficial, that would be good. But on the other hand, you could use your free will to take that knife that I had given you and stab someone in the back with it. That wouldn't be under my instruction at all. That would be purely using the gift I'd given you to do your own um, fallen will, to do the, the wrong that you want to do with it. And I think sex is the same. Sex is not something that is just uh, no holds barred. It's just something that's turned up that we can do what we want with. It's a gift from God. But all things from a source of goodness have a moral code to them. And sex, I think, is one of the most dangerous ones to get wrong. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. There is such thing as being immoral with sex and getting it wrong. Now, the questions are, yeah, here's a gift. What are those responsibilities? What is sexual immorality? Um, when I looked in a various Bibles to sort of look up this quote, flee from sexual immorality, I found um, a range of different words for sexual immorality. Some said adultery. Some said fornication. The fact is, the Bible has a number of different sins all under the banner of sex. Within this one gift from God, we have, mankind has decided to do many wrong, wrong things with it. Um, what is fornication? Um, some of you some of you might not quite understand what I'm getting on about. Fornication is having sex outside of marriage. Now, whenever I talk with people about Christianity and faith, especially teenagers, literally, the first thing they will ask me is, does that mean you don't want to have sex before marriage? And that, sort of, I think, says a lot about the world we live in today, doesn't it? The fact that the first thing we talk about when we're talking about an active relationship with Christ is what we can't do. And most of all, the, the thing that many teenagers focus on what they supposedly could not do is sex. That just shows just how prominent it's becoming in our mind, which is partly to do with the media, obviously also to do with the fact that we're growing up. Now, why does God ask us to keep sex within marriage? What's, what's, what's the problem with just anyone? What's the problem with me going out tonight, drinking a few pints, grabbing hold of a nice young girl, and doing the business, as it were? And the issue is, when we see in the beginning how God created, he created male and female to be one flesh, forever connected. And that's the thing. Sex is not a temporary thing. Sex is not the be-all and end-all. It is actually one form of expression of something far, far, far deeper that comes from God. I thought, yeah, I thought he came up with a brilliant uh, sentence, which was, all things from a source of good have a moral code to them. It certainly made me stop and think about that. I mean, only 17-year-olds would even know the meaning of the word moral. I mean, that kid was so mature. He explains a lot of things, actually, that other teenagers wouldn't understand some good for you, words, you know. So. Good. Well, let's move on. Let's move on. So, a final part. Well, What's next? Simon. Simon poses a question. Ah, right, that's right. What about faith? Faith. 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 Well, mm. let's, let's hear. Yeah, yeah but, yeah. or, is religion just a distraction from the real truth, which is, we're all going to die, it means nothing, we're all insignificant, we can't deal with that truth, so we make up religion to help us deal with not having 
life beyond our own. Religion does create a nice story for us all to believe in. We're all going to have eternal life. There'll be... Um, <laughs> in, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, all right. It's a good point. Yeah. No. <laughs> it almost does sound too good. And because it does sound too good, that's half the problem with most people. Yes, there are people right. that, you know, it does sound so good and therefore there has to be a catch because yeah. we do have this mentality... Yeah. Because in, cynical, in the world, basic, it, yeah. in the world, that won't happen. In the world, you won't get things like, for free that are good. Uh, it brings it, to the yeah. root of a lot of cynicism is fear of gullibility. Yeah. Or you don't want to seem naive. Yeah. yeah. Or, or or that sort of inbuilt little germ of pessimism. Isn't it? it can't be that good. Really. No, There's always got to be a bad end. It's, yeah, it's too good to be true. People think should. they have to sort of work work for their sort of salvation or whatever, and. Uh, you know, no such thing as a free lunch. There's always have to be a catch. They don't realise it's a free gift, and there has to be some, yeah, you know, some backstory. But, but to it, you know. also, it's also not as complicated as that. Some people just like to be rational, and well, and religion isn't really no, rational. No, it's a, it's it, a, it, I mean, true religion <laughs> or true belief, belief faith, faith yeah. is above rationalism. And deeper yeah. than rationalism, mm. and that, that is a, something you have to get over as a, you know, as yeah. a believer or yeah. a, a faith. It, rationalism is a yeah. ha, has its place in yeah. life. It doesn't mean, but it's not the boy all and end all things. It, it, it definitely has a lot of use in a lot of life. But it, but it, doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that faith is irrational. I mean, what is? Uh, I mean, apart from obviously the miraculous well, it's, aspect. It's not of rational it. in terms yeah. of. It, it, it just human existence. I mean, it's, it's it's above and beyond. I mean, some of it is irrational c c compared to rationalism. Yeah, I mean, when you, as I said, the, the, <laughs> the, the whole gift, the whole gift of salvation is irrational. Yes. it's a miracle, just like yes. the virgin birth would say, is a miracle, and lots of. And it's you, it, you, know, you can't you can't quantify you can't you can't you can't give arithmetic for it or mathematics yeah, for no it. Yeah, science. That's but, right. There is no science but, above but, and beyond but science. But taking away those particular core elements, you know, other aspects of, of, the, of the faith are rational. The yes. fact, you know, the you know the life of Jesus and and you know the uh, the flow of history throughout the Bible. Whenever you know there is. Yep. You shouldn't, what I'm just saying is you don't there just are, your brain uh, off. Yes, you know. there's earthly truth yes, within yeah. there, yeah. but fed from beyond. Yeah, and that's why without faith, no one's ever going to get it. Yeah. And that's the problem, and that's the problem with a lot of people. One, uh, one thing that I found interesting is the, the, the job that I've got at the moment at uh, Premier Radio um, <laughs> is <laughs> to, <laughs> to upload from um, Christianity magazine is one um, feature which is in every magazine since it started called the day I and a lot of them it's like the day I found God or the day I witnessed this and a lot of them are the day I found God and what I found interesting is a lot of people when they find God it's at a stage when they're at their most weak or at, or at their most Needy. needing something to believe in or needing some sort of comfort which does no, make you well, think that, you know... Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, but also sometimes the opposite is true. When people have got everything they wanted mm. and realise there's an emptiness there. Which is... Which well, is the other way, in a no, sense. No, it's not, because... It's like I've got everything in, in life that I thought was great... Yeah. ...that I always wanted, but there's still an emptiness. Else so it's not like I'm in terrible trouble and everything's going wrong, but mm. it's like everything's gone right as far as my 
human views. But that's a personal, that's still a personal need. Some people are perfectly happy and they can do without it. Well, I I think it's arriving at a personal need is part of the process. Mm. Is that arriving at a need, whether it's a need because you're in terrible trouble or because you've arrived at a point where you've got everything you thought was what you wanted and and it's Mm. still empty. It's still a hollow feeling inside you. I think sometimes you have to lose everything you've got. Um, to realise what you need, because mm. you can be on the race to sort of pick up as much bits and pieces as you can and spend life looking for the next thing. And as I said, either you reach the point where you do have it all and you question why why is having this all meaning anything, or you lose everything and you start to question actually whether you need to find it in the first place. But sometimes you do have to be put in a difficult position or a very well-off position, mm. because um, without it... Without that sort of without that barrier being taken away, you're not even going to come to the point. It's yeah, not. Exactly. It's not about you having your human mind making a decision of oh, I haven't got things. What to do? It's actually, in my opinion, as a Christian, it's about having your perspective taken off what you think to be important. And, and quite often at that point is at your point where say where you actually say I don't know, I don't know how or what. And in essence, quite often God requires us to actually admit that we don't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And that we don't know how to yeah. how to get what we want. And the thing that gets in the way there with a lot of people is pride. That's right. And quite often, reluctance to admit like, well, that. Or, or to arrive at that place yeah. and start working out a plan. How are you going to get out yeah. of it? And yeah. Which we all do. Yeah. Yeah. How am I going to climb back up again? Or how am I going to do something that else that's yeah. making me feel good? But it's yeah. arriving at that and saying, I'm at the end of my tether. I'm lost. There's nothing more I can do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's when you know yeah. most people, in one way or another. Yeah. And in lots of different ways. It's different for different people. And it's not always that same instant thing with everybody either. No. Quite often it's a slow, some people it's a slow thing, <coughs> some people it's an instant. Well, some people have grown up through it, and some people come from Christian families and haven't known anything other. Right. That doesn't mean it's any less relevant. Yes, yeah, so and they, they, they still have no miss. You have been listening to Saffron Planet, who are the Maltz and Worth family and friends. Appearing today were David, Maria, Kim, Helen and Colin. Audio engineering by Steve Jeffrey and Phil Maltz. All music by Howard Worth. Production and editing by Steve Maltz. Saffron Planet.